saved us. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I tell you this morning, you can't do anything to get yourself saved. The rich young ruler came to Christ one day. He said, what good thing must I do to be saved? Do you notice the question? He said, what good thing must I do to be saved? And you know what Jesus told him? He said, go and keep the, the Ten Commandments. Go and keep the commandments. And the rich young ruler said, this have I done from a youth. He said, I've done it since I was a kid. And you know what Jesus' response was? It wasn't, well, good, you're, you're on your way to heaven then. His response was, okay, now go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. You know, the Bible says the rich young ruler went away sorrowful for he had great riches. As far as we know, the rich young ruler is in hell today, having never trusted Christ as a Savior. You know, the question begs to be asked in that story, if the rich young ruler had gone and sold everything that he had and given it to the poor and come back to Christ, you know, even then Christ would say, that's still not enough. Because what Christ was trying to show this young man was, there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. His disciples were perplexed by that. Said, how can this be so? And Jesus answered and said, with men it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. The only thing required for us to be saved is to put our faith in Him. He does all the work. He's the one that saves us. By the way, He's the one that keeps us saved. Amen? I'm thankful for that because I fail Him every day. If it was up to me, I'd be lost about every other minute. I'm thankful that He keeps us saved. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Can I tell you, it's not about your good works. It's not about the church that you're a member of. It really isn't. It's not about being baptized. It's about putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. He's all I'm trusting. If He's not who He says He is, and if He has not done what He says He has done, then I'm lost because I am trusting only Him. And that's salvation, my friend. If you've never done that before, I would pray, I would plead with you. Do that today. Put your faith in Him today. Trust Him today. Take Him at His word. And uh, let Him do what He longs to do for you. And that is to save your soul. You know, the Bible says that the whole reason that Jesus came to this earth, He said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't come to make us lost. We were already there. He came to save us from it. A lot of people look at the story of the Lord Jesus Christ and they say, well, He came to make my life miserable. He, he came to make me do this or make me do that. No, no, He came to save you. You were already there. And He just came to save you. And I want to share that good news with you this morning before the message. And uh, if you're that way, if you say, Pastor, I don't know if I were to die right now, I'd go to heaven. And I tell you, you can do that right now, right where you're sitting. You can pray and ask God and say, Lord, I want to put my faith in you today. I'm trusting you at your word. No better decision you'll ever make in your life. No better decision. And uh, I want to encourage you in that. Those of you that are saved, we rejoice in what God has done. And I hope it will be an encouragement to us. Let's take our Bibles this morning. Turn to Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2. Last week... On Sunday afternoon, we were in Haggai chapter 1.
And um, then we had a special treat last Sunday afternoon. We might have some more of that in the future, perhaps. Uh, had a young man in our church preach for us and enjoyed that. And uh, Haggai chapter number 2. Again in verse number 1, In the seventh month of the one and twentieth day of the month came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts, <coughs> according to the word that I covenanted with you when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while. And I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. In this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message and Lord, may there be some truth that will be life-changing and something that will help us. Our heart's desire is to glorify you in the preaching of your word, and we pray that your Holy Spirit will have free reign. Lord, I ask that at the onset here you would remove any thoughts or distractions. Lord, I know a lot of folks, including this pastor, have had a lot of burden and weight this week. Lord, if we're not careful, we will allow those things to weigh heavy upon our minds and our thoughts and distract us from what your Holy Spirit longs to do in our hearts. And I pray that you would uh, help us for the next few moments to lay those things to the side, to put our hearts and our minds wholly upon you. And Lord, may your Holy Spirit do His work in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Give you just a little bit of history behind where we're at as we come to this chapter. <clears throat> King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, who was the one who hauled the three Hebrew boys and Daniel into captivity, uh, had gone in and destroyed uh, the walls of Jerusalem and had destroyed the uh, temple, uh, Solomon's temple, the, the glorious, glorious temple that it was, beautiful thing, and had destroyed all of that. And if you'll remember the book of Nehemiah, in the book of Nehemiah, the king, Artaxerxes, allows Nehemiah to go and um, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and to begin rebuilding the temple that was there. And uh, Ezra comes on the scene just after that, and while Nehemiah is focused on the rebuilding of the walls of the city, and Ezra is focused on rebuilding the spiritual condition of the people of Israel. And great revival breaks out in the in the process of laying the foundation and going through the rubble of the temple, they find, uh, they find the, uh, the scrolls of Scripture. And Ezra gets up and he begins to read the scrolls. Isn't it amazing the life-changing effect that God's Word has on us? 
You know, the Bible says that it is a, it is a sword, that is a two-edged sword, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Bible says, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know, the Bible has a lot of power to do the work that it's supposed to do in the hearts of men. It's amazing to me that when men hear the Word of God, they are either angered by it because of the conviction they feel, or they are stirred to change their lives as a result of it. This book is an amazing book. I was talking to somebody just yesterday about how often we come to Scripture and we've read the passage before, and we've, we've read it maybe many times before, and yet something new may, may pop out or something that we didn't understand before will all of a sudden become clear to us. It's amazing how this book is continuously a life-changing book. And Ezra gets up and he takes the scrolls and he begins to read the Scripture that they had in that day. And the Bible says that the nation of Israel repented in sackcloth and ashes and great revival began to spread. And boy, they were excited about the things of the Lord. But all of a sudden, everything came to a grinding halt. And uh, the foundation of the temple was restored, but they, they went no further on it for a number of years. Uh, it just sat there while all the people who were now safe in the walls of Jerusalem began to work on their own houses and repair their own houses. They began to build them up and, and focused, and, and, and God bided His time on that and allowed them, I think, to get at least some decent shelter. But the problem was they were focusing on these houses, and now they were going beyond just common shelter, and they were trying to make them ornate, and he was trying to build them. In fact, he uses the word sealed houses. They weren't open rafters, but they were actually plastering the insides of them and things like that. And, uh, and, and the Lord's house was still just the foundation. In chapter 1 of Haggai, you find God coming to Haggai and saying, Consider your ways. Tell the children of Israel they need to consider their ways. You run to your houses and my house lies waste. He said, Therefore, go up to the mountain and uh, to get the wood and build the house, and I'll take pleasure in it. And so in chapter 2, we find that they've begun rebuilding the temple. And uh, some of the old-timers, some of the people that were alive that remembered the first temple, uh, began to get critical. They saw this new structure going up, and they said, boy, it's nothing like Solomon's temple. Boy, Solomon's temple was really something. This thing's not going to be anything. And I want you to notice that as we get down to verse number 9, what the Lord says here, I love this. He says, The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. He says, you know what? This latter house, even though it's not as ornate, it's not as beautiful, it's not as decorative as the first one. He says, I'm going to give greater glory to this latter house than the first one. And you know what we learn from this? Look with me, if you will, in verse number, oh, let's back up to verse number, uh, uh, verse number 7. He says, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And notice this, and I want you to, don't miss this. He says, I will fill this house with glory saith the Lord of hosts. Can I tell you this? The glory of a house is not on its ornate features and how well it's built and how beautiful it is on the exterior. What fills the glory of the house is the presence of God. If you remember back in the wilderness when the children of Israel were wandering about after they left Egypt and God told them to build the tabernacle, 
The Bible says that when they got finished and the Holy of Holies was there and the Ark of the Covenant was there, the Bible says that on the day that they dedicated it, that the presence of God came down and they used the word the Shekinah glory of God filled the Holy of Holies. His presence brought glory to that place. I love thinking about the glory of God. I was talking to Jonathan about this the other day. We were at breakfast and we were speaking a little bit about this. And uh, it's amazing uh, if you remember when Moses went up on the mountain to get the law from God and he was up there for 40 days and he wanted to see God and God said, no man has seen me and, and lived. And Moses kept after him and finally God says, here's what I'll do. He said, I'll put you in a cleft of the rock and he said, I'll cover you with my hand and I'll pass by and as I pass by, I'll let you see the hinder parts of my glory. Not all of it. You couldn't handle it, Moses. Just, just the, the fringe, just the tail end of it. And Moses comes down from the mountain in just that close proximity of the hinder parts of the glory of God. The Bible says that his face shone so brightly that the people could not even look upon him. Can you imagine the glory of God that fills the house? And, and the, the, the presence and the glory of the house of God is, is not its ornateness. It's not the fanciness of it. It's not the greatness of it, how it looks outside, on the outside but has God filled the inside of it? We were teaching on this a little bit last week in chapter number 1. The Bible talks about building the house of God. And back in the Old Testament, that was the temple or the tabernacle first, and then later on the temple. But where is God's house today? Is it this building, Keith Heights Baptist Church? Is this God's house? Yeah, we might call it that from time to time, and we know what we mean by that. But where is God's house today? Right here. What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your heart, in your bodies. Now think about this for a moment. We oftentimes work and preach about and teach about, boy, make sure that you have a good testimony, and we ought to have a good testimony. But we focus so much, if we're not careful, on cleaning the outside of the cup making sure that this is an ornate vessel for God, that, that when people look at it, they look at us and say, boy, there goes a good Christian. Can I tell you this? The glory of the Lord is not in the ornateness of our temple. The glory of the Lord is in His presence in this temple. You say, well, Brother Greg, when we get saved, don't we get infilled with the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. But do you know that it is possible for us to push Him out? I'm not talking about losing the Holy Spirit completely, but with our relationship with Him, we push Him to the side, don't we? In Revelation chapter 3, in a letter written to a church, the Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's wanting to come in. See, it says, If any man open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. That wasn't talking to lost people. That was talking to Christians. The glory of the Lord. Do we have the glory of the Lord in our lives? In the similitudes, in Matthew chapter number 5, when Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, one of the similitudes that He uses is, He says, Ye are the light of the world. He didn't say, I am. He said, Ye are. But it's not our light, is it? Whose light is it? It's Him. It's His light. But ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill and cannot be hid. It talks about a candlestick that is lit, and it's not put under a bushel. It's put up on a candlestick so that everybody gets light in the whole house. 
You know what our responsibility as God's people is? To be filled with the presence of God in our lives and then to go out into a dark world and shine it everywhere we go. There's some things here that God challenges the nation of Israel on. He says, there's, my, there's some responsibility that I'm going to give to you. And then he says, I'm going to take some responsibility too. And I want us this morning to look at the responsibility that we're supposed to have. And then we'll look at the responsibility that God says he'll take on himself. And by the way, we need to be careful that we don't get them mixed up. So often I find myself trying to take over God's responsibility. That's for him to do, not me. I need to just focus on what he's asked me to do. Let's take a look at Scripture, shall we? In verse number 2, uh, verse number 1, the Bible says, The word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai, saying, Now notice this in verse number 2. If you have a pen, maybe you'll underline these words. Speak now to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. Speak now. There is a responsibility that Haggai had that God's giving him. God says, listen, let me ask you this question. Could God have spoken directly to Zerubbabel? Yes or no? Sure he could have. But he comes to Haggai. And he gives a message to Haggai. And he says, I want you to take this message and I want you to go and tell Zerubbabel about this. And I want you to tell Joshua son of Josedek, this. And I want you to tell the nation of Israel this. Can I tell you this? You and I live in a modern time, in the New Testament times, and even though this is an Old Testament story, the principles of it are applied in New Testament ways in such a way that you and I also have been given a great message, haven't we? The Bible says that we have been put in trust with the gospel, that we've been given the great commission to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature and to teach them to observe all things whatsoever God has commanded them. And so God gives a responsibility here. He says, listen, I need you to go. I'm going to give you a message, and I want you to take that message, and I want you to deliver it. Now, the message that he gave to Haggai was one to Zerubbabel and to Joshua and to the nation of Israel, and he was going to tell them some things that God wanted them to hear. But in the day that you and I live, we've been given a different message, haven't we? We've been given the message of the gospel. We've been given the message to take to a lost and a dying world. And by the way, the glory of this temple needs to be such that when we go out there, that that message is propagated in a powerful way. I'm so tired of Christians that walk around. I, I, years ago, I, uh, I went through a great uh, perplexing time in my life. It's still something that I, I battle with and I struggle with. And the question is this. Are we as Christians out of God's will... Doing God's work, God's way, with His Word, but lacking His power. You know, the Bible tells us that when Jesus gave His disciples the Great Commission to go into all the world, to teach people to observe all things, He says, But tarry ye in Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. He said, This is what I want you to do. But I don't want you to go do it unless you have the power. And I tell you this, we live in a day and age where a lot of God's people are very sober-minded. We're very sincere. We have the right Bible. We have the right message. We have the right motives. We have the right drive. We have the right boldness. But we lack the power. We go forward. We need to be speaking to people a message that God has given. Hold your place here in Haggai chapter 2. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter number 10. 
We're living in the last days, I believe, in days where we need, if any other time in history of mankind needed to have the gospel preached, it's this day that we live in. In Romans chapter number 10, and if you will, begin reading in verse number 11 with me. The Bible says, For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be, what? Ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've heard people say, well, Brother Greg, I'm a little nervous to share the gospel. Why? It's the greatest news man's ever heard. Yes, we've got to tell them that they're lost and undone, but that doesn't mean that we made them lost and undone. They were already there. We're just telling them about it. And we're bringing to them one of the greatest things of news that they've ever heard. They don't have to die in that sin. There was a God in heaven that loved them so much that gave Himself a sacrifice in their place. And that He came to seek and to save them. In verse number 12, he says, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him in whom they have not heard? Very poignant question for the day that we live. And how shall they hear without a preacher? You say, well, Brother Greg, you better get out there and start doing it then. No, no. Within the context of this passage, it's speaking of every Christian being able to propagate the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be busy sharing the gospel. God says, Haggai, I've got a responsibility for you. I could, I could do it myself. I could tell Zerubbabel. I could tell uh, Joshua, the son of Josedek. But Haggai, I'm going to entrust this message to you. I want you to speak. I want you to go and tell them what I have for them. What was another part of their responsibility? As we read on down, verse number 3, he says, And to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison as if it was as nothing? I want you to notice verse number 4. Now, yet now, be strong. If you're in the habit of underlining, I'd ask you to underline those two words. We need to speak now. Number two, we need to be strong. We need to be strong. Paul, Paul told the Romans, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Oh, that God would give boldness to us. You know, when the, when the disciples were preaching, and they were arrested for their preaching and brought before the Sanhedrin, the Bible says that they took note of the boldness of these men. said, aren't these just unlearned fishermen? Aren't these just some simple men? Look at the boldness that they have. You know, people say, well, the, the story of Jesus Christ raising from the dead, that's all just made up and that's all, uh, that's all things that the disciples decided. They all got together and decided they were going to make something up. Can I tell you this? All but one of them died a martyr's death. And I don't know too many people that will die a martyr's death for a fairy tale they made up. There had to be truth to it. These men held to it, and they, they were firm, and they had boldness. They had strength. The Apostle Paul, uh, we, we found out last week as we were studying a little bit about it, uh, some of the trials that he went through and how that the Jews were even seeking for his life. And yet Paul says, these things do not move me. I'm going to keep on keeping on. I'm going to be steadfast. I've been beaten, sure. I've been thrown in jail, sure. I've been stoned almost to the point of death, if not death itself. 
but these things will not move me. Can I tell you this? There was some criticism, people that were beginning to work on the temple and to build up again some of the enemies that had come and given them such a difficult time about the walls being rebuilt and even some of the Jews criticizing. God knew this was getting ready to be a battle for them. He says, I want you to tell these fellows to be strong. Be strong. It's not going to be a piece of cake. It's not going to be the easiest job they've ever had. He says, I've got a responsibility for you. You need to speak now. You need to be strong. And then I want you to notice the verse number 4. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord. And here's the next thing that God gives us as our responsibility. And work. That's a dirty word in the day we live, isn't it? Government would rather pay us to stay home and not work, wouldn't they? Work. You know, God gave work before sin. Some people, I've heard people say, Boy, if Adam and Eve just hadn't sinned, I wouldn't have to work. No, no. You know, God created Adam and He put him in the garden to do what? To bless it and to keep or to keep it, right? To take care of it, to tend it. That was before sin. God designed and created men to work. We were most satisfied. The other day, Jonathan and I, we were shoveling some snow over at Miss Joanne's house, and he was cold, and he was he got home. He's like, Dad, oh, man, I'm sore, you know. And I, I was like, yeah, I know, I'm out of sore too. And he's like, I just want to get a hot shower and get a hot chocolate and sit down for a minute. And so I went and did something while he took the shower, and, and uh, he got in his jammy, he got his sweatpants on and went and lounged in the chair and had a hot chocolate. He said, man, Dad, I feel really good right now, he said. And uh, he said that my muscles are sore, but it feels so good. And, you know, there's a sense of accomplishment in work because God designed us to work. But we're living in a day where somehow we've gotten this mindset from the world that work is a, is a dirty word. Uh, take your ease. Don't work today. You know, one of the great lies that Satan, you know, Satan never comes to a Christian and says, I don't ever want you to serve God with your life. You know what he says? He says, just don't do it today. You can do it tomorrow. You can. Do, you know what? You're only you're only 12 years old. You're only 15 years old. You're only 20 years old. You can serve. You know what? You, you got your career and family to, to think about first. You get done with that, then maybe when you retire, you can think about serving God. But but don't do it. To, that's one of the greatest lies Satan tells Christians. Don't do it today. He he knows we're smart enough that we we would never buy the argument. Don't don't ever serve God. But how many of us? Take our ease today. Somebody was telling me this. You know tomorrow never comes. By the time it's here, it's today. If you're going to say, I'll do it tomorrow, it'll never happen. Years ago, I loved flying airplanes and have since I was about eight years old. Always wanted to be a, a pilot and fly airplanes and never had the, the money or ability to do that for years and finally, we had a couple hurricanes in Florida that brought some insurance money, and I was able to fix our house myself, and we had a little bit of money left over at the end of it. And after buying my wife a nice uh, living room set uh, that she had never had a new living room set before, and there was still a little bit left, she said, okay, go get your, go get your uh, pilot's light. And about that, about that point in the word, I didn't hear the rest of the word. I was already out the front door. And... Uh, she might have had a caveat to it that I didn't hear because I was already gone. And uh, 
I remember going around, I went and visited four or five flight schools. I'd read about getting your license. You always want to go and interview the people, find one that works for you, and find the right instructor, find the right school. And I was going around, and I went to several very nice flight schools, looking at their airplanes, looking at their programs, talking to some of their flight instructors. And I went to one, it's just a little, little mom and pop, a fellow by the name of Ernie Carnahan, a Christian fellow. Just, just one man uh, doing some training. He had a couple part-time instructors that worked with him, but he was pretty much a sole operator of the business and had two or three planes. Not, not, not a big school at all. Met with him. He was very laid back, showed me around, showed me the planes. And I really, to be honest with you, wasn't all that impressed with that school compared to some of the others I had seen. I remember as I got ready to leave that afternoon, I said, okay, Ernie, I said, I'll give it some thought. And I said, uh, you know, I'm... I'm planning here pretty soon, one of these days, to, to go ahead and get started. And he said something I'll never forget. He said, if you keep saying that, you'll never get your pilot's license. He said, I've got a slot open at 3.30 this afternoon. If you want to, we can start today. I took my first flight at 3.30 that afternoon with that flight school. Got my license through them because he understood the concept, don't, don't put it off. You'll, you'll never do it if you keep saying, I will, eventually. And I thought... If that applies to getting your pilot's license, how much more does that apply to serving God? One of these days, when my life slows down, <laughs> is that ever going to happen? One of these days, when I'm not as busy as I am right now, I'll find some time to serve the Lord, Pastor. No, no. If we say that, we won't do the work. It wasn't enough for these people to have the command from God to speak. and to, It wasn't enough for these people to be encouraged by God, to be strong. The time came where they needed to do the work. I've known a lot of churches that considered themselves churches that were burdened for the lost. And yet the work was never done. God tells Haggai, Haggai, He says, I want you to go and speak to the people. Here's the message. Tell them to be strong. And tell them to do the work. He says, that's their responsibility. And then He says, here's what I'll do. And don't you glad to see what God does? <laughs> you know, God didn't tell us to save anybody. He just told us to go and preach the gospel. Paul said it this way, some have, water, some have planted, some have watered, but God giveth the increase. All we can do is bring a soul to the feet of Jesus. Introduce them to Him. Let them come face to face with Him and realize their sinful condition. Only He can save them. And only they can make that decision. Notice what God says in verse number 7. Let's back up verse number 5. Uh, verse number 4, sorry. He says, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. You know what God says? He says, listen, here's what I want you to do, and now here's what I'll do. If you'll go and speak and be strong and do the work, he says, I will be with you. Where does the glory of the house come from? Not from the ornateness of the house. 
I, I can look pretty nice. I can put on a suit. I can cut my hair just right. I can say certain things. I can carry the right Bible. People will look at me and say, boy, there's a good Christian. That's all external. Nobody knows my heart. But God does. And He says, now if you'll do these things, I'll be with you. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I want God's presence. I want God's power. I want God to use me. I want Him to do something in my life that is productive. I want it to be a help to others. I want it to encourage others. I want it to, that, to be something that builds others up so that they can do the same thing. And I hope that's your desire too. He says, this is your responsibility. And if that happens, then here's what I'll do. Number one, I'll be with you. Notice number five, verse number five. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. We will have the Spirit of God filling our lives. Notice it says this, verse number 6, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. He says, my responsibility, I'll be with you. I'll make sure that the Holy Spirit is there. My Spirit is with you. He says, I'll fill the house with glory. I, uh, I was helping Brother Harold the other day at his house, and he handed me a little uh, lantern, LED lantern, high-quality material, let me tell you. It was from Harbor Freight. And you all know how high quality their products are, right? And we pulled that thing up and it shone brightly until I bumped it and then it dimmed really dim. And I mean, it was just kind of fluttering in and out. And sometimes it was shine and I'd have light under there real good. And other times it just kind of didn't have a whole lot of light. You know, the Bible says that we are the light of the world. But if that light has grown dim, if the glory of God has grown dim if the presence of God in our life has become less and less, then what kind of a light are we to this world? The Bible talks about a salt that has lost its savor. Still saved, we haven't lost our salvation. We've just lost our effectiveness. God comes to Haggai and says, Haggai, there's some things I'm going to give you some responsibility. I'm going to give nation of Israel, some responsibility. I want you all to do this. And if you do it, I'll be with you. I'll make sure that you have my spirit. And I'll fill the house with my glory. I don't know about you, but those things right there are things I want in my life. Oh, that we would be doing the work that God's given us to do. That we would do the responsibilities that He's given to us. And let him do his responsibilities. Isn't it wonderful to see God do what he says he's going to do? Sometimes he makes it conditional upon our conduct. And this is one of those times. How's our glory? The glory of God shining through us. I hope it's shining brightly. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We pray that you'll bless it.
that you'll use it. Lord, may we be obedient. These three things that are found here in Haggai chapter number 2 are found also throughout other passages of Scripture, certainly. Principles are compared with other areas of the New Testament and found to be in keeping with them. Father, I pray that you'd help us to recommit our hearts and our lives, that we would rededicate ourselves to keeping the responsibilities that you've given to us. And then, Father, that we would allow your working in our lives to be what you desire for it to be. May we be drawn closer to you today. Maybe our hearts have drifted. Lord, I know sometimes being away from the church house for a couple of weeks, two or three weeks, can become discouraging. And sometimes we get depression and we feel like uh, we just uh, have not been fed. And Lord, maybe this morning we just need to be recharged in our batteries. Maybe we just need to be encouraged. Lord, there could be somebody here today that does not know if they died right now that they would go to heaven. Lord, help them to know that you love them. Help them to understand this fact. Help them to realize that, that there's nothing in this world that you would desire any more than to see them put their faith and trust in you. So, Father, if there's someone here this morning that is unsaved, I pray that today would be the day that you would save them. For Christians that are here, I pray that you'd help us to rededicate our hearts and our lives afresh and anew, that we would be diligent, we'd be faithful as stewards to do what you've entrusted us with. The things that you've given to us as our responsibility, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed, we'll have the piano play through a verse of invitation. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, could I encourage you, let us take the Bible this morning and show you how you can know that for sure. Christians that are here maybe.